today on Building the Open Metaverse. I am grateful and proud that I was able to see a point in the future that I can point to and say, this is where we should go. I was able to bring with me my co-founders who were crazy enough to believe that what I'm saying is not that crazy. Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy and Mark Petit. Hello and welcome back Metaverse builders, dreamers and pioneers. You're listening to Building the Open Metaverse Season 5, the podcast that is your portal into open virtual worlds and spatial computing. My name is Mark Petit and this is my co-host Patrick Cozzi. Hey Mark, I'm doing great and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. And as you know, we bring you the people and the project that are at the leading edge of building the immersive internet of the future, the open and interoperable metaverse for all. And today we have a special guest joining us on that mission. Jonathan Raz Friedman is a pioneer of the metaverse through his company, Super Social, as well as a fellow podcaster on this very topic of the metaverse. Jan, welcome. Thank you, Patrick and Mark. Really delighted to be here. I've been a, an avid listener for your podcast and finally great to be here. Well, same here. I mean, you started before us, we took inspiration and you were kind enough to welcome me on your podcast a while back now. So it's about time we have you here. If you're a listener, you know, we still like to start the podcast with the same usual question. Please describe your journey to the metaverse. I'd like to think about my journey probably started about over a decade ago when I came across this tiny thing called Raspberry Pi, which is a single port computer that back in 2012 was invented in by a group of people in Cambridge, UK. And I was flabbergasted by the power of a, a $35 single board computer. And together with two co-founders, we decided to start a company that would make a computer that is easy and simple and fun enough for anyone to build and code themselves. And as we started growing and building the company in 2013, it was very much in parallel to a couple of other things that have happened. Minecraft has exploded and became the most successful video game but also became the first kind of 3D social platform where kids not only socialize and play, but can also create. YouTube took that phenomena to the next level with user-generated content, making Minecraft really the first now, the first property on YouTube that reached trillion views. Roblox started to pick up in 2015. And so as I was building the company, my first company, Kano, I saw this trend and had a front row seat into how human behavior of young people on the internet is really shifting to be much more immersive. They feel very natural with avatars. They feel very natural in creating and not just consuming content. And ultimately, when I started Super Social in 2020, it was on the back of that almost a decade of seeing that human behavior. And COVID, in my mind, was really a big accelerant. And when COVID arrived, it dawned on me that what if this is the big accelerator of this human behavior that I've seen of how young people are using avatars to express themselves, socialize, communicate, play, and do a bunch of things together that until today, we haven't really thought about seriously as grownups or the tech industry. And ultimately, that propelled me to believe that virtual world in 3D could potentially become the next frontier of the consumer internet as part of a broad trend of moving from 2D to 3D. Um, and that's when I decided to kind of make the leap forward and step into the metaverse. You've been describing kids today as metaverse native. I mean, were there other factors that kind of play into that? Every generation has come across a childhood with a new modality of technology or what I think of as a modality of interaction, of human experience. We had the 
people who were born in the 80s, like me, maybe you guys, you know, I'm going to be 40 this month. My first computing interactions were really Nintendo, Game Gear, the Mega Drive, Game Boy, right? These were computational devices that gave me access to virtual experiences for the first time. And then you had people in the 90s, right? The, the game consoles became more proficient. PC started to take off in the 90s. In the 2000s, you really started to have even more capable devices. You started to have mobile phones, right? And then the iPhone and the iPad really took us to a whole new domain of how cloud computing and mobile devices really basically provided the most powerful handheld computer ever created. And I think it's not surprising that this generation that were born in the early 2000s and in the 2010s, they were exposed to these new devices that they can access anything at any time affordably to some people, to some people it's not. And I think what happened next is game engines really started to evolve and providing access to many more people into 3D world, right? If we recall back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, 3D worlds already existed, but it was really primarily focused on gamers. People who played World of Warcraft and the curious people who went to Linden Labs Second Life. And, and if you're talking about those type of it was very much a core gamer community that wanted to look at 3D World as a place of interaction, entertainment, and socialization. What's interesting is already then people made friends in 3D worlds, but it was very much within that core enclave of gamers. I think what's happening over the past 10, 15 years, and especially now, 3D worlds became so much more mainstream. And the reason I think of young people today, anyone above age 18 as a metaverse native generation is because I believe this is the first generation where being immersed in a 3D world as an avatar and doing so in a form of socialization, not just play. That is a whole new modality that I believe we're really just at the beginning of. And I think if you look at a 12-year-old today, there is way more in common between me, who I'm 40, and my mother, who is 70, than between me and a 12-year-old. Because I think their DNA and their modality of how do they experience the internet is so very different. I mean, all you need to do is give an iPhone with Roblox app to a 45-year-old, let them interact with the games and Roblox. Most of them will be completely disorientated. Give it to a 12-year-old, they're like in their native habitat. Great transition into your current company. I think it was very insightful for you to call it super social. So tell us what you're trying to do with super social for players and also for brands. Super social was really started in early 2020, really at the early stages of COVID with that hypothesis that the internet is at the beginning of a transformation from 2D to 3D, number one. And number two, the belief that that will impact human behavior on the internet, right? What we talked about a few minutes ago. And so I decided to start a company called Super Social because I believed that game engines and this next generation of the internet will make us even more social, not less social, because of that sense of immersion, that sense of deep connection. And I still believe in that. And what we aspire to do with Super Social is to really build the most iconic, the most prolific virtual worlds and gaming experiences on the world's most emerging platforms. We've recognized early on that Roblox is a key platform. We recognized early on that Fortnite Creative is a key platform, now even more so with UEFN. We recognize that Minecraft is interesting, but we really recognize that this is just the beginning of people starting to move into from 2D to 3D. And I wanted to start a company that is going to be part of that wave. And most importantly, really building meaningful digital communities that are empowered to express themselves socialize, play, and do things together in this next era of the internet. And with Super Social, what we do today, we really build 
publish and operate live games, live experiences, live virtual worlds, some of which is our own IP, games like Ballista and Costopia, but many of which are, we work with partners, anywhere from brands like Gucci and Walmart and Toikido and Nars Cosmetics. And we have a few more really, really exciting IP owners and brands that we are going to launch with, primarily on the Roblox platform until today, because we believe the Roblox is really ahead of its curve and is a much more mature platform in the category, but definitely thinking about the wider category and believing that there are going to be multiple platforms where we're going to be where the users are. And most importantly, building things that make people feel good about themselves, making things that make people want to connect together, which I think in the metaverse is going to be ever more important because it's going to be in a way more intense. It's an avatar. You're immersed in that world. You can feel, you can hear. You talked about spatial computing, Mark, earlier, right? We're going to have more innovative 3D devices coming in like Meta, Vision Pro, and more. All of those things and the fact that we're interacting as avatars in a semi-anonymous way are going to create environment where it's going to be very easy to be a bad actor. And we want to make sure that we're building a meaningful metaverse that is actually going to make people feel great, that we can feel great about it. Your kids, my two-year-old daughter will flourish and enjoy being in this virtual world. And that is a key pillar of our mission as a company. So as a practitioner, where do you think we are? Are those platforms doing okay? Do you think we can harness to the bad actors tend to be very resilient and persistent? Look, I think the internet overall has never been able to completely eliminate bad actors. I think bad actors are also in some cases highly sophisticated, either as hackers or programmers. And I think they're always going to be bad actors. However, I do believe that we're seeing some really positive signals, at least my familiarity with what's happening on Roblox is relatively good. I've been collaborating very closely with certain people on Roblox, like Tommy Bomek, who oversees their trust and safety group, but also on the technical side. And I think AI and machine learning can play a really important role in combating bad actors and bad behaviors. But I also think that these platforms like Roblox, Fortnite Creative has really passionate communities. And I think communities and communities combating bad actors is always and I believe will continue to be a really important way of how you report bad actors, how you take care of the community. And I think the studios and, and publishers like Super Social, we play, at least at the moment, on the shoulders of these giants, Roblox, Epic Games, uh, Microsoft, and, and so on and so forth. But I do think we can take a stand and stand in by those trust and safety by building experiences that we believe are meaningful, but making sure that we empower the community to report bad actors and bad behaviors on the platform. And the win, I think, is going to be where all of these things come together. The publishers and the studios are doing their part. The platforms provide technologies to combat these behaviors. And the community stand up for what it cares about, especially as we live in a world that is with more and more growing concerns around just civility in general. I think virtual world ultimately mimic real life. And I think that is why it's so important that we use technology to build environment that are really going to be meaningful for our kids, young people, and future generations. So yeah, I love the passion around the world moving from 2D to 3D and the world moving from gaming to just immersive social virtual worlds, uh, allowing all this creativity and self-expression. 
I wondered if you could elaborate more or maybe even just provide an example or two of what folks are doing. What's also interesting is not only what's happening in the quote-unquote consumer side of the metaverse, but also enterprise and, and industrial. So a couple of things that I enjoy talking about, I'll give an example of what we do at Super Social, and, and I'll give an example of some of the things that I'm more excited about when we talk about the open metaverse, which I think is a big theme in your podcast. But Super Social, some examples that I'm really proud of is bringing innovation around self-expression. So for example, we worked with Nars Cosmetics, a prestige beauty brand that actually 98%, maybe even more, of the audience on the Roblox platform never heard about. It's a prestige brand that typically older people use, not old, but older than teenagers. And we brought a brand like Nars Cosmetics. And together with that brand, what we've done is created an environment on Roblox called Nars Color Quest that is really amplifying creativity, human expression. And we created some really, really fun ways that included technical innovation on the Roblox platform where the level of customization of your avatar face really were able to be represented fully by what the users wanted. And so we created this kind of amazing tool essentially inside the app that allows you to customize your face of the avatar in any shape or form, any way you want, and encouraging inclusivity and diversity. It's so important that we have avatars that represents the entire society. And that's a great example where I'm proud of us using a brand and building with a brand like NARS to really build something that anyone feel they can relate to. So that's one great example. Another great example is what we've done with Walmart and store number eight, which is the innovation division at Walmart. We built an experience called Super Campus, a really fun, meaningful back to school virtual world on Roblox. And what was so unique about that is that we brought brands in anywhere from Walmart to BIC, Crayola, and 3M, but we didn't bring it in a way that felt like an advertisement. We brought them in a way that where brands were meaningfully and innately integrated into the gameplay. And I think that is so unique. Patrick, if you would have come to me, and if I would have come to you five years ago and tell you, Patrick, you know, Crayola, 3M, these brands, they're going to have their own video game in five years' time. You would have probably told me, Jan, what are you talking about? This is absolutely insane. This is never going to happen. Brands are not even integrating in AAA gaming. Maybe some ads and stuff like that, but actually having their own video. And look what's happening now. Super social alone. We've built now virtual world persistent with Gucci, with Walmart, with Nars Cosmetics, and the slate is, is long. We have so many more exciting, both with brands and IP owners like movie studios, movie IP, gaming IP, and so on and so forth. And so I think we're really evolving what gaming means, what virtual interactive virtual world mean for the broader consumer world. And I think we're seeing that on Roblox, we're seeing that on Fortnite Creative and so on and so forth. And I believe we're still at a very early stage of that. On the flip side, I also see super interesting things happening on the enterprise side. I'm keeping a very close tab, although not building anything yet, but I'm keeping a very close tab on things like the Omniverse, right? NVIDIA is building this amazing platform that allows digital queens and mimicking real world in manufacturing, in, in production, in design and planning. I mean, they're creating a, something that mimics the entire earth so we can forecast and predict the implications of climate change. All of those things are so incredibly profound and I think that will impact not just consumer experiences, but to a greater extent, potentially, the way we work, what workforce looks in the future, how do you work with people collaboratively, remotely? And I think that is also a profound technology that people are underestimating that I believe is going to make a huge impact on enterprises and organizations around the world in, in the coming decades. It's a good call out. I mean, Bazuki, leaders from Roblox Developers Conference, starting to talk about the enterprise space. They released their communication apps and they did their own recruiting center 
for Roblox on Roblox, which I think is always a good dog footing on technology. And they seem to be uh, keep an eye on it as well, which is quite interesting because it has kind of this gamey kitty association, Roblox, but already you can see that they are envisioning a much bigger and brighter future for it. There is a sentence that says, all the great things in the world sometimes start as a toy. And I think we're at a very toy stage of the metaverse. And that's what's exciting. A lot of people look at it and like, oh, you know, it's a nice to have. Why would I want the 3D avatar? Why would I go and put a VR headset and collaborate remotely? I can go meet someone in person. Oh, these kids are buying clothes on Roblox. One out of five users on Roblox, so something like 15 million people a day change their avatar outfits every day. Why do I need to buy virtual goods? Well, maybe virtual goods might be as big as physical goods in the future, right? Jensen, I think, from NVIDIA talks about a virtual economy that can surpass our physical economy. You've mentioned, Mark, this uh, really interesting feature that Roblox is, is launching this year. They announced it at RDC, the Roblox Connect, essentially being able to have an operating, a phone operating system-enabled avatar phone call that allows you to call one another as an avatar and jump into a game to play together. We're really looking at these modalities that are coming in. And to your point, Mark, oh, it's kids and teenagers using it. But these kids and teenagers in a decade are going to be in the workforce. They're going to be adults. They're going to be parents. And this is what gives me the confidence that what we're seeing now, although considered as a quote-unquote toy, I believe is also going to be huge in the future. And another thing from Jensen, he, he was an acquired podcast recently, and he said something really interesting. He said that he always makes sure he spends time on things that are no one believes are going to be a trillion-dollar industry. And he actually mentioned the Omniverse as something he spends a lot of time on at the moment. So I encourage people to pay attention to what some of the CEOs of these companies are focusing on because they're running multi-thousand people companies and that are building the future. Switch gear a bit as a, as a practitioner on the technical side. Can you elaborate for our audience on, you use both Roblox and UEFN, kind of give us what do you think as a user of those platforms, highlight some of the key differences between them? First, I would say that I'm very bullish on both platforms. And I think that we're at a very interesting stage where Roblox and UEFN are at a different stage of the revolution. And let me kind of unpack that for a sec. Roblox is a 17-year-old platform that became an overnight success. But it's a platform that has been built in its infrastructure, meaning technology tools, developer tools, virtual economy, the social platform, the ability to develop and publish rapidly experiences. Roblox also doesn't develop any content. So it's what I think of as an agnostic landlord. They bring you into the building and they allow you to build whatever type of apartment you want. And for that, they charge a significant part of the revenue share, which I think some people agree with, some people disagree with, but that's beside the point. But the bottom line is that Roblox is a very mature platform that provides a very cohesive environment for anyone to build, monetize, and grow their own 3D content. So that's Roblox. UEFN is very different because UEFN is built on what has been a game initially, which is Fortnite. Fortnite is a first-person shooter game, one of the most successful games over the past decade with a core audience that is quite different at the moment than the core audience of Roblox, right? 90% to, based on public data, 90% of the audience on Fortnite is 18 to 25-year-old male. Uh, Roblox is much more diverse age group from 5 to 25, female, male, much more diverse. For a good reason, because there is like 40 million titles. You can play anything you want on Roblox. Fortnite introduced Fortnite Creative, which was the first step I believe, in making Fortnite a platform. And there is the famous tweet from, I think, Tweem Sweeney, right, where he says, Fortnite is a game today, but ask me next year and I'll tell you what it is, right? And I think what's clear to me is that Fortnite with UEFN and the integration of the Unreal Engine is obviously on the trajectory of becoming, of being a platform 
that is on par with Roblox. Where I think we are is UEFN is much more early in the journey of where Roblox is. There isn't yet a cohesive virtual economy. The integration still requires unlocking certain possibilities anywhere from saving modes to player progression, being able to allow developers and creators to create their own avatar goods and items, all of which I'm certain Epic is working on and will introduce. But it just shows me that Epic is at a much early stage as a platform than where Roblox is. But I do believe that both of them are going to play an instrumental role in popularizing the concept of the metaverse in the consumer internet. But I think as a developer and as a studio, that introduces different type of opportunities and alternatives that we have as a company. What's interesting now though, is that while the platforms are at a different stage, they almost provide a similar developer payout potential. Roblox this year is estimating paying about $800 million in developer payout. So that's money developers will make. Epic Games mentioned earlier this year at GDC that they are allocating a certain portion. I think net-net, it's about 16% of total income from Fortnite Creative, because if you exclude the Battle Royale map. But I do believe that even at that level, you're really looking at Fortnite Creative essentially doubling the market size of metaverse experiences at the moment. So it's no longer just Roblox with the day hundred million. It's probably Fortnite Creative with six, seven, eight, nine hundred million. And that is really interesting because you have a similar developed potential for revenue with platforms that are at a different level of maturity, which explains why as super social, we're very adamant that UEFN is a platform we need to be in. Epic allocated a fair like up to forty percent of the Fortnite revenue to be shared with other third party developers as the creator economy V2. The net net is exactly what you said. It's, it creates an, an opportunity that's equivalent to the one from Roblox. Just quick question. Would you see the need to have a solution to author for both platforms at once? Mark, we talked about it a bunch of times. I think interoperability is the holy grail and the dream for users, for developers. And I get asked a lot, actually, by brands. Hey, if I build with you on Roblox, how easy it is? Can we just put it on Fortnite? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> I need to write the whole thing back again. It's completely different visual fidelity. I can do more on the Unreal Engine. Even when I push the boundaries of both, it's going to be different. I can use inspiration of the IP, but I can't just copy it. I need to recreate. So to your point, Mark, I think the value for brands, for the ecosystem, for developers, for users to enable interoperability among these platforms, 100%, that should be the way of the future in a very similar way to how the first generation of the web and HTML. And that's why I'm, I'm so excited about initiatives like OpenUSD and making USD essentially the HTML for the metaverse, hopefully, which I know you're very close to. Uh, but it's unclear if and how the individual companies are going to justify and collaborate to bring that eventuality to life. But it's definitely the desirable condition for the state of the metaverse. If you refer back to the first company interview from team a few a couple of years back when it said we need to be able to jump from an UEFN experience to a Roblox experience and advocating for uh, hyperlinking and kind of web-like web architecture. It's interesting. They're all going at it. Tim believes that he needs to solve, believes that verse is going to be the way to create portable uh, gameplay. It's a big bet to create a new language. It's a long endeavor. It's very complex. So yeah, we'll see. Time will tell, but you know, you're right. USD is a great is a great first step to share static virtual world and declarative content. And I think there's another factor, right? There is the individual big companies like Roblox, Epic, and so on and so forth. Then you have a you have a second force, which is everyone else, right? And you're seeing interoperability efforts between small to mid-sized platform that are 
kind of playing among themselves. You see things like Ready Player Me on the Avatar side trying to integrate across everything, but it's not integrating with Epic and it's not integrating with Roblox or it's not integrating with Fortnite and it's not integrating with Roblox. And, and these are the two big category leaders at the moment. And then you have the third force, which no one really knows exactly what's going to be the impact, which is Apple and Google and Amazon and Meta and all their efforts are going to influence. Apple certainly is going to influence these ecosystems because of their tight control of app ecosystems. And so when we talk about the importance of OpenUSD, I think it's a really fundamental invention that is going to have to be a key part of how a metaverse become an interoperable internet rather than what we see today, which is really two silos of mobile ecosystem that are predominantly where content is created on the internet. Yeah, that's why this season we invited the Chrome team and tried to get an assessment and get a status report on the viability of web browsers because it wouldn't be fantastic if we could play those games on the web and on those open platforms like web browsers. So interesting episode. Progress is being made. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> So Jan, we're, we're definitely very excited, right, for an open metaverse, and we think open standards like open USD and interoperability is at the center of that. You know, if you looked out five or ten years, I mean, what do you think the metaverse will look like? What, what are you most excited about? There's this famous quote of the best way to predict the future is to create it, right? I don't know who said it, but apparently, I'm sure there are a hundred people who claim to have said it. We'll get to the source of the truth, but I'm a big believer in that. Having said that. You're asking me a question, so I'll try and give my best commentary on what I believe will happen. In the next three to five years, I it's such a long time in today's world. So much is happening. I mean, three years ago, there were no one was talking about the metaverse. No one was talking about NFTs. No one was talking about generative AI. And here we are today. The metaverse, apparently, according to Fast Company, died multiple times this year, even though it wasn't born yet. So let's put that aside. Uh, NFTs is obviously 99% down. So most people... Don't talk about it, even those who are excited about it. And generative AI is the new kid on the block, and even that would subside because it will take time as well to evolve to autonomous agents and so on and so forth. So let's look at what's real in front of us. And what I see in front of us at the moment, I see the emergence of two very important platforms on the consumer internet that provide what I believe is a prototype version of what a metaverse could look like in the future. Roblox is the more mature example of that. And because Roblox does enable interoperability, virtual economy, and so on and so forth. So I think I expect Roblox to continue and grow over the next three to five years and continue to be a category leader in the space. I expect Fortnite and with UEFN to become much more of a platform and as such introduce completely new experiences and complexities that may not have been created until today. Mark, to your point, it would be great to see them collaborating. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Not only in the next three to five, maybe not even in the next 10. Maybe I'm taking a bit of a pessimistic side of things, but definitely the next three to five years, I don't see how there is interoperability between UEFN and between Roblox. So I do believe these two platforms will emerge and continue to grow as key category leaders. I think what we're also going to continue and see, we're going to continue and see major efforts being made by Meta. I don't expect Mark Zuckerberg to abandon his Metaverse ambition anytime soon. I think he thinks about the Metaverse as an existential threat to Meta. If Meta is not a part of that, he will do it both with devices and will continue to try and build Horizon. That being said, I don't expect Horizon to get even near the level of scale that Roblox and UEFN has. I just don't see that happening because Meta is not a brand that young people want to experience and want to be a part of. So I think that's going to happen, at least in the world outside of China. And I think we're going to see a much more global village in this platform, more than we're even seeing now. 
There may well be a few other entrants. If it's Rec Room, Yahaha, maybe Zepedo continue to pick up as an avatar-based social network. But I find it hard to believe that there will be another major platform at the scale of Roblox and UEFN anytime soon. So that's what kind of I expect to see over the next three to five years. And the one other thing I expect to see is many more experimentation with regards to what does an internet looks like where avatars are the key way we're interacting on the internet. I think we're going to continue and see experimentation of that outside of these two major ecosystems, Roblox and UEFN. In the consumer internet and with young people, I believe we're going to see more experimentation, especially ones that are powered by next generation VR and AR devices and unclear what that looks like. But I think this is an area I'm definitely keeping an eye on and encourage people to think about. Leon, you said there would be a hundred billion people in the metaverse. How does this math work? <laughs> Explain to us. I know it sounds so dumb, right? How is that even possible? You really don't know math. I was asked one time, Jan, how many people do you think are going to be in the metaverse? And my immediate reaction was, because of everything I, I know, everything I think, everything I believe in, my immediate reaction was, I think there's going to be about 100 billion. And the person who asked me that question was, wait, how is that possible? Mark, exactly your reaction as well. So here is my theory, right? And I might be completely wrong, but this is my theory. You're seeing today a modality of expression where kids and young people are natively and intuitively and organically spend hours a day interacting with their friends online as an avatar. That means that that type of representation, either fully virtually or with an AR layered on real life, but that representation as an avatar is legitimate. And it's something that I expect will continue to happen where 2 billion people around the world are under age 18. Now, we already know that in some cultures, like in Asia, people already are accustomed to represent themselves with multiple virtual identities. It's not something that is new new. And I also believe that Asian cultures, especially places like South Korea, Japan, have the tendency of sometimes being ahead of the curve of Western world and Western culture. And lastly, I believe that as virtual world become more expansive, more complex, more interesting, more differentiated, people are going to have an opportunity to experience with different identities. And there is no limits to how many identities we can have in the metaverse. And that is where I kind of take a point of view that now, don't catch me on the number, Mark. Maybe it's 100 billion, maybe it's 90 billion. But as a statement, I believe that we're going to have multiple, multiple more billions of people who are interacting, many of which will be human-enabled, i.e. avatar that I control and activate, some of which I believe will be completely AI-enabled, but still guided by humans. And I think through that, seeing 100 billion avatars roaming the metaverse, I believe is not such a crazy statement. I think the multiple identity thing is is real, and I think it'll be, we're not accustomed to thinking that. I'm a young baby boomer, so it's even worse for me. <laughs> so, but, but I do believe you're right, and I think, yeah, AI, like brands could put out AI bots that represent the brand's value, and, and bots could have utility as well in the metaverse, above and beyond conversation. So I think it's a great argument. I really wanted you to speak to that because I think it's great thinking. Thank you, Jan. I believe we're going to have much more free time as species in the future. I do. Because of automation, because of AI, a lot of the things we do today that are mundane will be fully AI operated and automated, and we're not even going to know it. And people who are going to born in this decade and next will be the first AI natives, right? Just like metaverse native and mobile natives. So that's coming, right? And I imagine that my daughter, who is two-year-old today, when she is 12 or 15, and she experiences these fully immersive virtual worlds, I am certain 
or have a high level of confidence that she will have their own little army of AI avatars that she quote unquote assign responsibilities for or employ or do something with them that allows her to for her to accomplish more, to learn faster, to work smarter, to achieve more, to experience more. And again, I, I, it's not just like these 100 billion avatars roaming the world just standing and waiting for something to do. I actually believe that this new virtual realm is going to be incredibly thriving, incredibly interactive, and doing things that at the moment, I don't think the three of us can even imagine what my 12-year-old daughter is going to want to do and do in the future. And that's the beauty of innovation. It's always more than you expect it to be. So Jan, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about entrepreneurship, uh, certainly a topic dear to my heart. And also I think the metaverse platforms, it's making entrepreneurship easier to get into and we need entrepreneurs also building those foundational building blocks. So I just wanted to ask for you as an entrepreneur, you know, you believe in focusing on people, culture and communities. And you know, why do you think these components are so critical to building great products? It's such an important topic, Patrick, and I appreciate you asking me that question because entrepreneurship is very dear to me as well. And that's why I'm an entrepreneur. I love the experience of creating something from scratch, but mostly I love the experience of creating something from scratch that many other people make it their own. But here is the fundamental thing that I think happened over the past decade that is really a game changer. And part of that relates to my first point when we started the recording today, talking about my first company, Kano and the Raspberry Pi. When we were building the computer that anyone, any beginner can build and code themselves, what I envisioned was a world where kids and teenagers and young people can actually build the future while they are kids. I don't think we live in a world anymore when you need to go to university, graduate, get a job, and maybe at 22, you start working. And look at Roblox. Now I'm connecting the dots from the Raspberry Pi to Roblox. What people don't talk about Roblox, which is really interesting, and I'm only talking about Roblox because I think it's the most scaled example of that. Roblox, by default, taught millions of kids to code. It then empowered those kids to build games. And now it empowers those kids to build businesses and make money and become essentially the new newspaper or lemonade stand or the mom and pop shop of the future. Sure, Super Social and other professional studios are venture backed, and, but we are a small portion of the community on Roblox. Majority of the community on Roblox our 15-year-old kids, boys, girls, non-binary, who in their garages, in bedroom, in their dorms, in their living rooms, are building games and making money and monetizing. That's the world we live in already today. So to me, entrepreneurship is being liberated at the moment with technology. AI is going to take it to the next level because generative AI and AI in general will lower the barrier even further for entry and also increase the capability of what the top talent can create in big studios and big companies. But the majority of these communities in the metaverse, I believe, are going to be individuals or small teams that are building the 21st century version of the mom and pop shop or the newspaper stand. That is a pretty dramatic evolution, I believe, a paradigm shift. And I think we're going to see many, many more teenagers in the next decades that are actually becoming business people while they are 14, 15. It's happening already now, and it's going to be at a much bigger scale. And that is really, really exciting, I believe. Therefore, what advice would you give founders or young entrepreneurs if they want to build ambitious companies and really impact people's lives like you're trying to do? I think the first question I would encourage aspiring entrepreneurs and founders to ask themselves is, why do you want to do it? Life is so much easier when you just work for someone. 
you get a paycheck, you don't need to worry about stuff. I can tell you, it's very stressful. Patrick, I'm sure you would resonate with that. Like, it's very stressful to be a Mark, I'm sure you too. I'm sure it's very stressful to be an entrepreneur because there is no one to complain to. When you're the founder and the CEO, there's no one to complain to. You can only, co everything that happens in the company for good is happening because of your team. Everything that is bad is because of you. That's the mentality that I have that people need to ask themselves, do you really want to be an entrepreneur? Because it's tough and Again, I'm using Jensen because Jensen Huang, CEO of NVIDIA, because I just heard this phenomenal episode where he was hosted, right, by Acquired. And they asked him, what would you tell the younger self of you? And he said, I would never start NVIDIA. It's just too tough. It makes no sense. But look at the journey he's been through. And I'm looking at my own journey, being an entrepreneur for slightly over a decade now. And it always brings me back to that first question. Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? What is that impact you want to make? on the world, for yourself, for your teammates who are going to trust you? So that's question number one. Question number two is, what are you passionate about truly? Is there an area of the world that you feel you can really make a dent? Because when the going gets, gets tough, it's that passion that will keep it going. And I find myself really every week, oh my God, this is so tough. Like, why are we doing this? And then, okay, like that's why we're doing it. You go back to the passion, you go back to the why. And then the third thing, that I think entrepreneurs should ask themselves is what is going to make you stand out? What is going to be the differentiating factor of your endeavor individually or of the company you're building? Because probably whatever idea you're thinking about or space, there are thousands of other people that are thinking about it at the same time. And the magic is to not just be the surfer on the wave because everyone can see the wave. The magic is, can you be the best surfer? And to be the best surfer, you need to develop skill. You need to be curious. You need to be relentless. You need to have perseverance and greet. And you need to make sure that you are able to do that on an ongoing basis. Because as I said, there is no one to complain to. There is no one to go to. Um, so I really encourage anyone who thinks about being an entrepreneur and a founder to ask themselves these three questions as they ponder about the possibility. And last thing I would say, the best way to know is to give it a try. You can always fall back on going and working for someone, but you'll never have many chances to be an entrepreneur. So if you want to do it, experiment, give yourself the shot and see if it works for you. So we had one other topic. You're hosting one of the most popular podcasts on the metaverse called Into the Metaverse. Could you tell us about it and also maybe share some advice uh, for folks that are also doing podcasts? We're, we're asking for two friends. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. Really appreciate the kind feedback first and foremost about the podcast. It's been a labor of love talking about passion. I started Into the Metaverse, for those who don't know, at the mid to late stages of 2021. It was about roughly a year after I started Super Social, and I felt that the narrative about the metaverse is growing, and then it exploded <laughs> in October 2021 when Zuckerberg changed Facebook to Meta. And we started the podcast slightly before in its first incarnation, and the reason was is because I really wanted to help educate and inform people about the metaverse because what became clear even more once meta became meta is that there is really incorrect associations with the metaverse, that the metaverse is a VR device, that the metaverse is something that meta is doing. And now you're saying all of that again with everyone associating still or many people in media associating the metaverse with meta with VR and with NFTs and blockchain. And every month I see an article, the metaverse is dead. And I always laugh because the metaverse is not even born yet. It's an iteration of the future. But the podcast really played a role in my desire to help inform and educate 
the population and the community around what is the metaverse, what are the opportunities, and what I've been aspiring to do. And we're now at episode 70 plus with Mark has been one of the early guests on the podcast, which I'm very happy for that, is really bringing people who are either builders, executives, entrepreneurs, investors, who are really in the weeds of helping to bring the metaverse to life and providing some depth, insight, and takeaways on what is really happening at the core of things. So people have a slightly better understanding of what is real, what is not real, and have a point of view of what the metaverse can become and what it means for them. The couple of the key lessons that I've learned from the podcast is how important it is to, again, understand why you're doing it and why you're doing a podcast, right? Because it's so easy to make a podcast today. Anyone can make a podcast. And I think if you don't know why you're really making the podcast, it's hard to keep the consistency. And consistency, as I'm sure you guys know, is key when you produce a podcast, right? You want to build an audience, you want to build a community, you want to make sure that content continue to flow in. The challenges I've been facing, number one is, how do I grow the podcast? How do I continue and expand the audience who is exposed to the podcast and is interested in the topic? What I've realized is that the metaverse, as much as we live in it every day, it's still a very niche topic in the grand scheme of things. And you know what? That's okay. Because one of my desires was I want to look back and look at all of these amazing episodes and conversations I've done and feel like I've contributed to some extent to the evolution of the metaverse as an idea and as a reality. The second thing that I find really challenging is making sure that I can bring the right voices in and a diverse set of voices. People from the tech side, from the business side, from the brand side, men, women. And that is an ongoing challenge, finding the right people and finding the right people who can help create meaningful content for the audience that I'm serving. That's the second thing. The third thing that both of you probably share as well is doing all of that while running a company <laughs> or being an executive in a company. And so I'm grateful for support I'm getting internally from my team. I'm grateful for support I'm getting from the producer and editor of the show. And to be honest, if I may say so, I'm grateful for myself, for persevering, for continuing to produce content, even when sometimes I don't feel like recording and I'm too tired to do that. And I'm grateful for myself for having the energy to continue and produce that because I know that the future Jan is going to be happy that I sticked around. And so if you share any of those challenges, then I root for you and I'm happy to see you grow and I want to see you continue to make podcast content as well. The two of us, it, I think it makes it a little bit easier. But you've been so prolific. I mean, you were doing your own editorial comments and everything. So thank you. Keep doing it. We'll try to keep doing it as well. And together, hopefully, we root for the good cause. Aside from the first several episodes where I had a collaborator, Matthew, a great individual, great friend, and really helped me start the podcast. Once Matthew moved on, I believe the next 40, 45, 50 episodes, I have produced, edited, interviewed, created agenda, emailed people, scheduled entirely on my own. So yes, I'm not sure how I've done it. I'm getting slightly more help now, but yes, it's been a lot, but I'm really proud I went through and, and regardless of the content or whatever type of podcast, the audience that is listening to the episode today produce, again, it goes back, Patrick, to the question you asked me, like why people do anything. I think you need to be passionate about it. Uh, I think you need to have the perseverance to be consistent and continue to produce content. And that can only happen if you're really curious and really passionate and feel like you're contributing. And that's what I try and continue to do. And yes, Mark, to your point, it's been a great experience having a podcast and talking about stuff I'm passionate about, meeting great people like yourselves and all of the guests who came to our podcast. I think it's a really, really interesting, fun experience that requires a lot of energy for sure. We've talked about the future. When you look back and everything you've been doing, what's the thing you're the most proud of? You know, I think there is a point of time where it was early COVID, 
It was April, May. I was working on a previous company, a VR company, a location-based VR company. And COVID arrives in March and the whole world changes. And I could sense it. I could sense the change. It was dramatic. And not just existential threat of like what's going to happen with my company, but I could see an opportunity. In the time of the most despair, locked in a house, in my in-law's house in Columbus, Ohio, and with everything going on, and we're talking about the days people didn't even know they need to wear a mask because it's the only way to protect us. And I had a 15-people company that I had to pivot. In that point of time, I am grateful and proud that I was able to see a point in the future that I can point to and say, this is where we should go. And most importantly, I'm proud that I was able to bring with me my co-founders, a group of people who were crazy enough to believe that what I'm saying is not that crazy. So Jan, you know we love to wrap up the episode with a shout out. If there's a, a person or organization you'd like to give a shout out to. I want to give a shout out in these days to all the people out there who are holding the flag of humanity and civilization and love and care and human rights. And I want to give a shout out to all those people who care about the world we live in enough to do something about it, because I believe we're living incredibly terrifying, uncertain times. And I'm not just saying it as an Israeli born and as a Jewish person, I'm saying it in general. There is a lot of hatred in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I hope that everyone out there find a way to be loving and cherish what's really unique about the world we've built, which is we can all thrive and we can all love. And I hope that everyone will carry that message and find peace and help the world heal and be better. So Jan, you are an optimistic entrepreneur focused on transforming gaming into immersive social worlds. And most of all, you're bringing talented people together to spread joy self-expression through virtual worlds. Your vision and ambition shows innovation at the intersection of technology and human behavior, and this is fantastic. So thank you for being with us today. No, thank you, guys. I appreciate you hosting me, and I'm grateful for the questions you asked. And a huge thank you, of course, to our growing audience. You can reach us for feedback on our website, buildingtheopenmetaverse.org, as well as subscribe to our LinkedIn page, our YouTube channel, and most podcast platforms. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jan, and thank you, Patrick.